Who wants, Daddy, who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now, it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Everybody, welcome back to Java Chat. It's Coffee with Mike, and today we're going to be talking with somebody that's not in the normal arena of guests for podcasts. And the reason that I'm doing this is, is twofold. One is we don't hear enough about the behind the scenes things that go on. Um, we always hear about the celebrity guys, you know, the big C-level dudes that are in uh, software as a service or they're working in, you know, technology, blah, blah, blah. In a way, this guy does too, but he actually makes it. He is the CEO of um, Fledging. Uh, fledging.tech if you guys are wondering what the, the website is they have a specific um, product that we'll get into a little later um, his name is Ethan Summers Ethan thanks for hanging out with us on Java Chat today hey Mike glad to be here thanks for having me so as a, oh good he's got coffee yes <laughs> it's called Java Chat for a reason right yes sir it is called Java Chat for a reason <laughs> we invite anybody to come whatever, whatever beverage they want but when coffee's there it's like oh we're gonna have a good one today um, so. Yeah, exactly. I, the, the idea of, again, of Java Chat is, you know, we, we get to know our guests and you being uh, a first timer. Um, and I say this as a, as a kind of hint that there's some possibility to future, future uh, guest appearances as well, because boy, in the pre-show, we came up with about three or four different subjects we can talk about. <laughs> I think we got some podcast series. Yeah, I think we yeah. might have a podcast yeah. series rolling here, which is most people would think, well, you would have that with a, with an author or a coach. It's like, Hey guys, there's all kinds of stuff that happens in the business world. And Ethan's got a ton of experience, um, in, in a few different industries. Uh, and as, as we were talking about that, it's like, we got into discussions around logistics, uh, around finance and all that kind of stuff. And it's, I guess most people don't really realize that the behind the scenes guys got a lot of shit to do too. Don't they? Oh, absolutely. I think most business actually happens behind the scenes. And most of what you see on the front end with kind of advertising and the CEOs out front and center, I mean, that's that's more marketing work than the actual back end all day, -day operations of moving stuff across the country and getting stuff built. Yeah, all day. So give us a little background on yourself. Uh, tell us a bit about who you are, where you're from, and how'd you get to where you're at today? Yeah, I tell people all the time I'm doing the thing I've wanted to do for the last 12 years. Um, that's funny because growing up, I just, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I'm a military brat. You know, dad served 23 special forces in the army. Nice. So we moved all over the Southeast. Yeah. This is my, um, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. This is my fourth time living here just to give you a sense <laughs> of the movement. Um, so growing up kind of in that culture, you know, everywhere was home and nowhere was home, which is a lot of fun. You know, you get to be a lot of places, meet a lot of interesting people, you know, get to, you know, wrestle and grapple with colonels in the army when you're 10 years old is cool moving every two years and not having stable friends, not so great. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, I landed, uh, yeah, it's a whole lifestyle, man. Um, so I landed at uh, the University of Alabama because I was in Tuscaloosa growing up, um, graduated high school there, studying engineering just because that's what they pay smart people to go do. And I just, I hated it. I mean, just hated everything about it. So I dropped out of that and shifted over to journalism, which made perfect sense for, you know, summer 2009. Oh, yeah. um, when, when newspapers are dying in mass, I'm sure you remember, I'm sure newspapers are just dropping like flies. Yep. Um, I didn't want to be a journalist. I was just very introverted. Um, I like to write. So I wanted the skills, you know, the interview and the research and the writing, the communication. And I knew I'd figure out something. Sure. Um, and so I was covering a seminar from the school's MBA program, uh, just at, working for the student newspaper to cover it. And one of the professors there, Lou Marino, he said that half of all new jobs in the country come from startups and small businesses. And if like light bulbs could materialize overheads, one would have dinged for me because yeah, it was sure. like, oh, you know, that's incredible, right? Um, and so that's when I decided I, I wanted to get into business and I didn't have any product ideas. I, I don't like doing sales, don't like doing marketing. So that pretty much left me operations. <laughs> and I figured I'd point my career to being just a really, really experienced operator you know, inventory, supply chain, finance, HR, recruiting, people management, all that stuff that like is not the sexy stuff that people like doing in businesses. Um, 
and did that through my career and then landed with Fledging in 2019, right after they closed the funding round and then got rapidly promoted up and became CEO in August of 2020. So that all sounds super linear. It's, it's not. <laughs> I, 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 it's funny because it, most of the podcasts that we have, it all sounds linear. Mm-hmm. It's the stories in and around, you know, what you had to do uh, when you first got in, how you had to learn, the things you had to learn, the people that you had to learn from. The I'm not so sure that all of a sudden that this is really the right path for me. Let's see mm-hmm. if it works out, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. you know, how many people have taken side trips? So you know, it's 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 kind of like a D and D thing where you go do the side quests before you go take on the boss. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, the the old meme here's here's what success looks like. This is no, this is what success looks like. This is really- that's right, that's right. <laughs> I, that's a fun example. I um so so to graduate from my MBA program, you have to have an internship. They will not hand you a diploma without mm-hmm. an internship. And so I'm getting an internship with the Small Business Development Center here in Birmingham, which is an extension of the Small Business Administration. And it's like April, you know, right before the semester ends and the internship starts. And this is 2013, so that's when one of the government furloughs happened. Internships oh, are canceled. Funding is gone. So I'm sitting there, April 14th, 15th, like shit. I'm not going to graduate school. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of my professors says, Hey, I've got this unpaid gig with a company called Georgia Pacific. I'm like, isn't that a railroad? Like, no, it's an energy company. I was like, Oh no, they make toilet paper. Um, <laughs> I think we'll shoot. Like I have to graduate. I'll go do this. And it ended up being just the best first job I could have possibly had. I mean, I just learned and grew and got challenged all the time. They've got a great culture. And it's just to say, it's one of those moments of like, I'm sitting there like, I don't want to go work for this railroad. Um, and I look up and it's, it's the start of my entire career, right? Like it kickstarted me into operations. That's it. That's insane. Well, and for those that don't, he, he mentions Georgia Pacific, everybody, people that know, know that's a paper company. People mm-hmm. don't know that they're also a packet, a packing company. Like mm-hmm. they make, they make stuff for packing. It's not just paper, not just toilet paper. I mean, they're what? Nine figures at least. They may, I mean, they're cool 50 billion they make lumber oh, gypsum. more than that they more make the that. little they make coffee cups i mean they make cardboard boxes and corrugated materials they're in if they're there's in like everything. a tree involved they yeah of, i'm sure they, yeah they've become a they, they're one of the they're the paper paper conglomerate if you will um but that's that's the kind of environment if you want to get into an internship because usually um one the internship is pretty well established on an mm-hmm. sob two there's usually some cross-training between the different companies and the different brands. Not always, but that's right. It's possible for you to learn more than just one operation so that you Mm -hmm. become a a bit more well-rounded. And this is for all the kids that listen to us that are, you know, 18 to 25. If you're, if you're looking for an internship, sometimes going with the big guys is a great place to start Mm -hmm. doing what Ethan did after that is probably a, a progression to taking what you've learned actually applying it in the real world ethan's running a, a, a company right now it's a small it's a small startup they've got by the way that base insane love it <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you love it, I love uh, it you have you have no idea dude my my shit sits on that thing all day i'm charging oh, everything perfect. through that perfect. I, mean, perfect. Yeah, I don't i don't even i don't even bother using my 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 power strip anymore there's I actually have openings on it now <laughs> oh get rid of it throw it away send me a picture just yeah well, the trash yeah. yeah there's there's only there's only there's only my computer pocket <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love yeah. it um so how did you how did you find pledging i mean well, how did that happen what what was the what was the storyline there yeah so um you know my wife and i were living in atlanta doing the corporate thing making a lot of money getting promoted having a good time getting kind of fat because it's easy to in atlanta because you're making money and the food's incredible oh, that's um, that's that's an understatement atlanta's cool. got great I mean, food dude it's not vegas food but dang it's it's good food. uh it's, um, it's barbecue and it's good oh it's good um <laughs> I, I don't know i can do a quick shout out to fox brothers barbecue they have the best wings in atlanta just in case they hear this and want to sponsor me or something <laughs> Um, but we looked up and said, you know, Atlanta's cool, but Atlanta's established um, and it's expensive to get bought in there. And we're from Alabama. So we figured we'd move back closest to home. And so we looked up and picked Birmingham because it's, it's the biggest city in Alabama. Um, and it was just such a cool moment, right? Like all these companies were coming up and you were starting to hear about a startup scene and there had been some successes here, but they were kind of low key and quiet. Um, and some little companies ended up about a year after we moved back, uh, a company called Shipped happened um oh, cool you know, they got bought by 
for $550 million by Target. Um, and then that guy spun off to something called Landing and another guy had a billion dollar exit with therapy brands. And so like our friends thought we were crazy for leaving Atlanta for Birmingham. And then a year later, you're hearing about half billion, a billion dollar startup exits. Um, and we just want to be part of that. I'm, know, I'm, that I'm sure that must have gotten some of your friends' attention going, where? Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> Of course, we'd bring them in, show them the food, show them the cost of living, show them the people. And they're like, I might need a move here. Yeah, yeah. It's most, most people don't understand that Southern hospitality, even that has its own local flavor, no matter oh, where yeah, you go. And it's, 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 it's always refreshing, you know, like anytime I go to the South, it's like, oh man, I love the people down here. Damn it. <laughs> we, we recruited, uh, not me, but somebody here in town recruited a company, the founder was in Israel and she was in San Francisco and we poached her to Birmingham and she was interviewed about why she possibly left San Francisco for Birmingham. You know, don't we have shoe, no shoes and outhouses? And she said, it's the closest thing she's ever found to a kibbutz outside of Israel. Um, and that's, just always stuck with me is that, that sense of community and, and mutual well-being is, is it's real here yeah um, that's that's the best that's to me that's the best part when you have a community it's one of the things that we work on here in nevada we're still a one horse town yeah. uh, mm -hmm. the community is pretty tight depending on where you're at um, mm -hmm. and that's one of the initiatives that we do out here with um, like with, with the real vegas magazine oh yeah local influencers supporting local business as everybody as knows the stripe right? yeah as which is yeah, right? as it yeah. should be uh, the idea is that, you know, there's the strip and, you know, that's where the party happens. Cool. Mm -hmm. But there's still the rest of this community. And, and again, depending on where you're at, each community, when, you know, I'm on the South side, we have mm -hmm. one flavor. You can walk down the street here and people will say good morning mm -hmm. in the middle of a street, which is small town USA. You go out to Summerlin, you got all the posh living, living people out there mm -hmm. and they, they, there's another flavor out there. Again, still quite welcoming. It, 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 Northwest new flavor. Northwest mm. is a completely new flavor. Um, <laughs> same story. It, it's when you have community, it's easier to work. It's just easier because you know you know you're not. Some people stress about going home. San Francisco, they've got it. They, they're they're dealing with some stuff right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Still a great city. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all ups and downs, yeah. and there's benefits to that scale and that intensity of capital and knowledge, and it's a beautiful place. Um, but there's just also other ways to live life, and I think like Vegas is like that, Atlanta, Nashville, Birmingham, all these great startup towns. Um, they're all just a different way to live life, and it's a different fit for different people. And I personally love being in Birmingham. I don't yeah. want to be in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, I'll probably have to come down there and visit. I got my cousin over in Huntsville anyway. So. Oh, Huntsville's great. Huntsville's yeah. great. This yeah. is what I hear. I've I've never been, and I've I've got to got to change that. That's a bucket list for sure. Yeah. Wait till you see the giant rocket ships. It's all. <laughs> well, yeah. That was I was actually invited as a kid. Yeah. To go to the NASA camp that was out there. I don't know if it's still open or not, but um, it is. It is. Yeah. 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 Uh, again, bucket lister. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, so I came to fledging. Um, so I landed at a, a hospital system in Birmingham just because I do sourcing and contracts and that was my experience. So I did that for a couple of years. But what I told myself was, you know, I'm pretty introverted naturally. And I told myself, no matter what I did, I was going to get networked in Birmingham. Um, so every time I saw a name or a thing, I just reached out and said, hey, can I talk to you? Yeah, um, that's the way funny. to do it. In five years, I've been told no one time. And I cold guessed the guy's email and he emailed me back and very politely said, connect with me in three months. I'm very busy right now. And then five days later, his company got bought by Target for $550 million. Oh, and that's always stuck with me. Like, he doesn't even know me. I guessed his email. He, he didn't even just say no, thank you. He like messaged back and said, hey, I'm really busy. Please reconnect with me. Five days later, he has a half billion dollar exit. Like, that's just, that's the vibe here. Um, and that's the vibe that brought me to fledging, right? Like. I remember seeing the founder pitch. He came out of a accelerator at UAB, the, the local university. And I told him at the time I was judging his pitch. And I said, if I had a million dollars, I'd invest in you right now. Um, and so he called me about a year later and said, hey, I want you to come run e-commerce for us. And I said, yeah, let's go. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And this is my chance to jump into the startup space with a rapidly growing uh, consumer electronics company. That time to now, how long was mm -hmm. it before you got to the seat that you now sit and in the driver's seat? So I joined June, 2019. We just closed the funding round. So I came in, I was the first professional hire after that. And I became CEO in August of 2020. So I think that's about 14 months. That's fast, dude. 
Yeah, it was, um, it wasn't my plan. I was really kind of coming in to do more COO stuff because that fits my experience. Um, and I think the founders just, you know, COVID was tough. We were on oh, yeah. an international supply chain. <clears throat> you know, we, we sourced components from Taiwan, Mexico, China, all over the place. And it, the business just got to be really, really technically difficult to manage. Um, and the founders, you know, they did an incredible job having the idea of premium electronics for everyone. You know, it's that idea that like, you should get to have an iPhone that doesn't cost $1,300 and that it's going to work well. Yeah. There's no reason this should cost a month's rent. Um, and so that's a great idea. They did a great job founding the company, creating the brand, establishing the initial base of customers. But I think they looked up one day and thought, you know, making a company and running a company are very different things. Um, and it was just kind of the right place, right time to say, hey, I have been training for 10 years to run a company. Yeah. Um, let's see what happens. Right on. The, um, I remember when we met, we met at the Consumer Electronics Show just, um, just this past year. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you made clear was we've resolved the logistic chain issue. Yeah. Um, anytime somebody says something like that, in my head, it's an immediate, these guys aren't only hustlers, they're problem solvers. Which, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things, well, because logistics, we, and we were talking about this in pre-show, uh, the mm -hmm. challenges that were happening during, during, the, uh, during the pandemic, before the pandemic, when there was that panic buy and Georgia Pacific was trying to keep up with the amount of toilet paper just for, you know, it was insane. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and to be able to manage multiple channel sourcing, which you just mentioned, um, mm -hmm. is, is definitely, it's, that's a skill set. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a skill set. How did that, you know, and in fact, that's kind of a good question. As a CEO, what kind of challenges have you been facing as of late um, within fledging as, yeah, as, um, as it relates to e-com or as it relates to just simple operations? Yeah. Um, how much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I got to say, I got to do it on my team. Uh, one of the things I really was dead set on when I came into the CEO role was building a rock solid leadership team. And I got a head of operations who's got experience running labs and a background in neuroscience of all things. And he just like, he is one of the best operators I've ever worked with in my entire career. That's um, cool. Went out and recruited a fantastic head of marketing who you've met and know. Um, who's just a, a, a dynamo at what she does. I got a head of R&D who lives over in Shenzhen um, helping us navigate in, uh, that environment. So really, really grateful for the leadership team I have. So it's, it's a team sport for sure. That, um, that, that doesn't even count the rest of the team. Of right. That, that Shenzhen element has got to be interesting. It's a game changer. It's, uh, I, I think we'll talk about it in another segment, but it's his whole journey there from let's go to China to, oh God, the world closed to now I'm stuck in quarantine for five months is how we came up with the product, the Spruce Charger. So if we can cover that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the next session yeah. for sure. Um, what, do you, what do you think are like some of your, your future aspirations as far as where you're at now and where you think you might be going? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, you'd asked about challenges and, you know, my background's in supply chain and physical products. And I was joking the other day with one of our investors. I said, I don't know if what I want to do next would be in physical products because I know it or would be way the hell away from physical products because I know it. Um, <laughs> it is tough. Supply chain's tough. Managing inventory and cash is tough. Quality matters so much because we can't just push updates. Um, I know software as a service has its own challenges, but you can just push a patch. I got to recall and reship and remanufacture. Um, so those are some of the big things and what we found, you know, the chip shortage is a good example. It, it jumped up and bit us. That's why we took that long delay last fall. But what we found is every time we invested in quality and treating people how they want to be treated, which is one of our values, um, making a premium device, it solved the problem. So nice. like we solved the chip shortage by paying 15 more cents a chip for a higher quality chip. And there's an unlimited supply of this higher quality chip. Um, for us, it's an extra dollar fifty per unit. So who cares? Right. And it's the kind of thing where a Ford or a Tesla doesn't want to move into that space because they're buying a billion chips. Yeah. So that cost adds up. But every time we've invested in treating customers how they want to be treated and making a premium advice, we've been able to solve our supply chain challenges. Sweet. That's awesome. Um, I had one more question for you. And it, it came while you were talking. Um, do you really think that this is where you belong? I mean, is this is this... That's pretty much it for you. Because they're electronics. 
Um, I'm a big believer in Birmingham. Um, it's kind of a comeback town. It's had it's an old town actually it's pushing 200 years and it's been a steel town that came up and collapsed and came up and collapsed and now it's diversified into healthcare. like one of the first kidney transplants in the world was done at birmingham nice um and, and fintech and construction tech and now startups and so it's this great comeback town and i really want to be a part of that you know i, I love alabama it's a, it's a great state beautiful state um it's got some challenges and those are pretty well documented um, especially, you know, economically and, and in terms of a lot of people like me leave, right? Um, they go to Atlanta and Nashville and Denver and Las Vegas and San Francisco, and there's nothing wrong with that. I get it. Um, but I want this to be a better place. And for it to be a better place, I, I need to be here. People like me need to be here. We need to be helping. So whether it's creating a breakout success with pledging and having that, um, you know, financial exit and that success, whether it's continuing to do this here and build intelligent manufacturing or, move on to the next thing and try and solve another problem. I, I think Birmingham and Alabama and the startup space is definitely where I belong because I just, I'm probably dumb for it. I just really love working on hard problems and seeing what comes out of it. I don't think that's dumb at all. I think it's, it, we need the people that are willing to work on the hard problems and being in community, being involved in community, whether you're a business or a nonprofit or what have you. Um, that, that I was kind of hoping you would touch on that because those things also yeah. matter. Most people don't realize that as, as the, the sea levels, you, you're, you're an internal leader, an external leader, and you're also a community leader. Everybody's looking to that's you right. for something, um, whether that's um, support financially, support emotionally, or something of that nature. Um, and that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's right. perfect. I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Guys, we're going to take a quick 30-second break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the other fun stories that Ethan's been through. Just so back in 30 seconds. And we're back here, Java Chat Coffee with Mike, sitting here with Ethan Summers. And on the break, we were just kind of talking about um, it's not always easy being a podcast host. You have to come up with freaking questions on the fly. <laughs> um, and, and yet at the same time, you have the, the other podcasts that are, you know, very well produced. Um, they, have a, they have a format. What I've learned here is that um, a lot of times the, the good golden nuggets, the stuff that you probably wouldn't get when you're, when you're super formatted, you, you miss out on certain things. So I've, mm -hmm. I've kind of gone the other direction. And while we're not a long format kind of, kind of play, I do like free flow. And the reason for that is because my guests are all intelligent in their own right, um, both in experience and in, in, in a lot of them in, in um, theoretical knowledge as well. Ethan's no exception. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys that's been there, done that, but he also understands how everything works. And over time has had other people take him under his wing, under their wing, excuse me, uh, and show him mm -hmm. the ropes and give him the, you know, what we like to call, give him the old what for. Who are some of those people that, that influenced you um, through your career that, that like you got the, either the epiphany aha moments or you kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's just how that works. Or maybe not, you know, you know what I'm saying? That kind yeah. of, who are some uh, of those absolutely. people? And that, that, that'd be a long list. Um, I, I got to do the obligatory mom and dad shout out. Um, you know, they, they raised me you know, the right way and as best they could. And the thing I always appreciated from them, um, I'm talking like they're gone. They're still around. I'm going to go see them for lunch tomorrow. Um, is that they, they really taught me to love learning. Um, and so I, I learned from a very early age to learn and learn and learn and be comfortable with that process of not knowing and being wrong. Because there's just more to learn. Um, and that sets, that sets a strong foundation. I think that's something anyone can do is, you know, just learn to love learning and you're going to be in good shape. Um, you know, growing up, I had all the kind of obligatory sports coaches and stuff like that, some really striking figures. But as I think professionally, you know, there's, there's a couple of people I would think of. And one is a business professor at the University of Alabama named Lou Marino. He's an entrepreneurship professor. And he's the guy who did the seminar that I covered that made the light bulb appear above my head. Um, and he was just a classic, like, blend of academic and experiential, right? Like, he had the PhD and he'd done the thing from the good schools and very academic, but he also ran the businesses and did the work and set up the stuff with students. And it just struck me as, like, this perfect collaboration. You know, we hear all the time about compromise, right? You see that in politics. Whatever your stance is, you got to compromise. And when you compromise, no one has anything they wanted. No one's won um, versus collaboration, which is, we're going to get together and we're going to figure out how to make this work as best as we can for everyone. And, and he just got that stuck in my head. Um, and he also 
I think maybe saw a student at the time who was kind of interested and engaged, but not sure what to do. And he made sure that I had opportunities in class and with a student-led consulting program we set up um, and stuff like that just to get that experience that's so vital when you're 18, 19, 20, oh, yeah. 21 and don't know which way is up. So he's he's one of the first ones that really jumps out at me. He's just a great guy and a, a great professor. That's that's a <clears throat> that's a unicorn, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Because most times, what was funny is that um, actually uh, the University of Phoenix actually took that model where if you were going to be a professor, you had to be also a currently working professional. Like you're going to be teaching entrepreneurship. You need to yeah. be an entrepreneur. If you're going to be a, you know, like my, <laughs> my critical thinking professor was a trial attorney. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about interesting class. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I bet the stories, <laughs> the stories they tell about everything. Oh, and what was the, the best part about it was um, at that time I was still back in Hawaii. And most of my classmates um, didn't quite grasp critical thinking until towards the end of the class. Um, mm-hmm. Because in the beginning, everybody comes in and you ask a question and the immediate response of any human is emotional by experience. Mm-hmm. That's right. This is what I know. This is what I've been. And this is how, this is how I perceive it. So it's a perception uh, or a perspective, mm-hmm. not necessarily a critical perspective, That's just right. one that, that exists. Uh, and I remember talking with him one night on the phone, uh, and, and this will this will forever stick with me because I actually really liked him. He was I thought I'm like I, my first thought was I ever get in trouble, that's who I'm hiring. Um, <laughs> but we were we were on the phone one night. He goes, I, mm-hmm. I really have to thank you, and I'm like, why? What did I do? I mean, I'm just a student. He goes, you're the only student that understands what's going on in this class. You actually think critically. You don't take anything emotionally, and I'm like. Oh, don't get me wrong. I, I'm an emotional, passionate Hoyan. There's a lot of stuff that I have <laughs> some real deep-seated passions about. He's like, yeah, but in our class, we've touched on a couple of those, and you've been able to keep yourself separated from it. So this, mm-hmm. this is what this is what's missing from your generation. And it was funny because I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. For for the most part, anybody that's a Gen Xer, we look at most stuff and we go, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't care you know it's, it's your triggers are not my issue i'm not going to tip mm-hmm. i'm not going to tiptoe around you that's your problem you go figure out that's how right. to deal with it that's mm-hmm. you know that's kind of how we are the next generation completely flipped that that whole switch and it's like well now you have to you have to think about me and i'm like uh yeah no that's just not <laughs> one business doesn't get done that way there's there's a way to do business and that's not it Mm-hmm. Two, nobody gets anywhere by, by tiptoeing around everybody else. Nobody talks. Nobody gets the, the issue out on the table. I mean, if, you, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're in business with somebody and you have a problem with them and you never say anything because you're worried about how they feel, you're failed in the next six yeah. months or less. That's where I think it's interesting because I am very much a millennial. I'm, I'm born in 1989, so I'm like right smack in the middle of that, but I'm also raised. God, I'm old. Military. That's when I graduated, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I also raised military, and I won't tell you what year I graduated high school, um, but I was raised military and kind of had what I think is a good upbringing, and I think the point that gets missed so much, and this is something I appreciated from a lot of my Georgia Pacific mentors, is like the, the personal element matters and the emotion and the background, that all matters so much. It is not a cop-out to not do the damn work. Like, like let's acknowledge it. Like, you just called out that everything's an emotional response first, and then becomes yeah. a logical response, and that's 100% right. That doesn't mean stop because you had an emotional response means recognize you had an emotional response and then get to the right answer and you know i had a bunch god i could name a list of them but at georgia pacific i had you know i think about like lindsey hickman and mary grizzard and sandy laundry and steve arnson and todd Zelinsky and all these people who i worked for um just incredible leadership and they were all aligned around because it's a very values centric company sure, sure um they're very much aligned around the human element and that never got in the way of hard conversations and getting the work done and that's where i think there's this sweet spot that's missing between the generations and even in the newer generations of like it shouldn't be an either or it should be a yes and right like we're humans we're squishy we're emotional yeah let's be honest about that and get some shit done well the the best part we had a meeting yesterday um uh we were meeting with a larger digital brand who we might be partnering with on the on the magazine side Mm -hmm. And that, that exactly came up. It's like, we are not an or kind of organization. Mm-hmm. You know, do we, do we work with this company or their competitor? Well, that disservices one from the other. Mm-hmm. They're, I mean, 
it's a magazine. Everybody needs to advertise. Why is it an or? Why not have an and and feature them both? Right. Let Why does it have to be competitive versus collaborative? And, and that's it. So I learned, a t I learned a term years ago <clears throat> from one of my mentors who unfortunately is passed. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was a term he came up with called co-opetition. Interesting. Cooperative competition where we both benefit. We're going to compete, no <laughs> doubt. But we're in, the, we're in the frame of how do we improve each other so that that competition benefits the marketplace. That's the, that's the classic Coke versus Pepsi battle, right? Is yes. Would one of them like to gobble the other one up? Sure. The two of them, though, make the entire market. And they, and, and they branding, both, their marketing, their lifestyle, it all supports the other one. They freaking know it too. It's oh, kind of yeah, interesting yeah. because if you look at their marketing campaigns, they don't, they don't really cross over. Yeah, no, they're, the, they're the drink of choice, but one caters to one side, one caters to the other. And it's like, you know who's another one that does that? Chevron and Shell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the big car companies, especially you. Same story. The, yeah. the pickup truck space, they, instead of going, Ford does it a little bit with the number one pickup for 50 years, but they go different directions and different styles and they're not going head to head. They're saying, if you want this kind of truck, pick a Ford. And if you want this, pick a Chevy and or, or, or a Ram um, or whatever. Co-opetition. I'm going to have to write that down. Yeah, I, it, it was um, Bernie Sanders coined it. Um, he... Um, not Bernie Sanders. God, Bernie's last name escapes me. I'll find it and I'll post it in the comments, you guys. But he's a, he's a he was a good he was a good man. He started up a thing called CEO Space. He came up with that term, um, and dude was brilliant with because he was in the financial world. Mm -hmm. um, very smart man. Mm -hmm. um, actually, ran it was like an MBA in a weekend kind of thing with the CEO oh, wow. Space, wow. and literally would bring in a lot of big big people in um, networking, coaching, legal, finance, and all that kind of stuff. And usually by the end of the weekend, people would be leaving with investment checks, anywhere between a couple grand to a hundred grand. Uh, Kevin Harrington yeah. used to happen in every once in a while looking for deals. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, was, a, it was a real thing. Um, you mentioned about five names. Who yeah. out of those five stuck out the most? And that's hard. Um, my <laughs> is really interesting. I, I try to ask the hard questions just to keep you, you know, keep it going. Oh, of course. Yeah. So I came in and I'm 24 and young and dumb and haven't done anything. And I had one boss named Sandy for like two months. Um, I mean, it was a very quick changeover. And so I didn't spend a lot of time with her, but I remember sitting quietly through a, a team meeting. I came up to her at the end and said, Hey, what about this? And she said, well, why didn't you speak up? I was like, well, I've been here for 10 seconds. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> and she says, I don't really care how young you are. Um, we hired you for a reason and we want you to participate. So it's one of those, like, I didn't spend a lot of time with Sandy, but I will die remembering that interaction. Um, and then I had some just different bosses who went out of the way to develop me. One of the big ones is probably a guy named Todd Zelensky. Um, he was head of global sourcing for Zelensky. Yeah. Uh, president of Ukraine. Spelled the same way? Uh, slightly different. It's a very common Polish-Ukrainian name. Okay. It's like, it's like Smith or Mohammed or Chi gotcha. or Lee or something. Gotcha. Like gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, I worked for him for almost two years. He picked me out of one group and into the other and kind of grew me up into a category manager. And this guy was managing global sourcing. He's on the phone to China seven days a week. Uh, he's got a couple young kids. He's commuting an hour. He's managing... I don't know, 10, $12 billion in spend. And every one-on-one -on -one I had with him, that we had one every two weeks for two years, every one-on-one -on -one I had with him, I was just like the center of his universe. I mean, the phone would be put away. His boss would walk in and he'd say, hey, can this wait? I'm meeting with Ethan. Um, and it wasn't about that, you know, I was getting all the attention. It's that I just, from him, I just learned this, like, I try to learn this total absorption with what you're doing. He was so focused. Um, and he probably and be like now I'm distracted but he was so focused and it was cool from a business perspective but also it was like the most humanizing experience I've had because I'm some 25 year old managing a little team for him a couple million dollars in spend and he's sitting there saying for right now this is the most important thing in the world I could be doing and if it's not that important I'm going to cancel the meeting um, and that just completely shifted that goes to what we were talking about that's that perfect blend of the human element and the practical business element because he was being so human while being so effective. And that's just, 
I mean, it was, I, I remember telling him I was leaving Georgia Pacific to come back to Birmingham and it was heartbreaking because just working for the guy was just fantastic. Is he still, is he still there with GP? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been there for a while now. Um, he's a Duke guy, which I always like to give him grief about, but uh, yeah, he's still there. Most of that team is still there. That's, that's telltale to the credibility of them as leaders and as business managers. That's, that's a huge thing exactly that somebody, right, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, <clears throat> I think the entrepreneurial world needs to really understand uh, and, and the smaller businesses really needs to understand being like that mm-hmm. will not just keep your company alive. It will attract mm-hmm. the right kind of talent. That's right. Because you will know you, your reputation will get around yeah, I worked for Zelensky and that man was friggin' amazing. Are you still there? Oh, no, yeah. but I heard they're looking. Somebody's jumping on Indeed in the, in the next five minutes. Funny story. I was getting hired at UAB. I was leaving Georgia Pacific to get hired at UAB. And there's a guy on the team who I'm, I'm backfilling him because he's, he's moving to a new role. And he worked for Todd Zelensky like 20 years before. Different company, different context. And like I could not, and this is not a um, very effusive or bubbly or outgoing guy, the guy who was on the team. Um, I couldn't get him to shut up about Todd. Um, and he said, <laughs> he was, when, he, when they were making the hiring decision, he went to my new manager and said, like, you've got to hire this guy. And Todd's signing off on him, like, you got to hire him. Um, which got me home and in the door and into a good environment. It's like, it stuck with me too, just, just the value of actual reputation, not that BS marketing reputation, just like your actual reputation is i never encountered it like that in my career yet it was, it was striking. i get a I get a kick on so you mentioned you mentioned um, reputation and marketing which is interesting <laughs> because <laughs> you can have the greatest marketing reputation and be the shittiest dude you could be the shittiest dude and have a, and and actually be really worth your salt in marketing you know it, yeah. it's, it depends on how that plays um, I, I still have awards sitting on my floor. I'd never put them up on the wall. And, was, and mm-hmm. half of those were because, you know, I had to pay to go there. Yeah. I'm like, mm, no, nah, till I get a two pencil award, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting anything on my wall. That's mm-hmm. in our world. That's the epitome. If you get a two pencil award, you have made it because you can't buy that one. You have to freaking earn it. Totally um, earned. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's, it's, when you have a reputation like that in business, though, as, as a leader, and, and people are from who? Who said he was good? Get mm-hmm. that kid in here. You know, because mm-hmm. it's your reputation as a human catalyst mm-hmm. becomes super valuable to whoever else may be hiring the resource that mm-hmm. you no longer have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Provided, of course, they, they make it through the, the interview process. And um, especially in the startup space, keeping the resource, right? Like um, people come and go and they get picked up for new opportunities. And that's, that's what you want as a boss, right? Like you've developed someone and they're incredible. And they come to you one day and said, hey, I just got a job offer for a billion dollar company that's twice my salary. That's, that's the dream, right? Um, and and that, that reputation goes into that development for them. And they carry that forward with them. But also, I think it sticks in their mind as motivation. Like, it was great for me to get in with that job with him, but also like that stuck with me every day at UAB. Like I'm, I'm representing this man who I deeply respect. My shit better be right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But it, it, it speaks volumes too for you as a leader. Cause that just happened. We were talking before the show that just recently happened. Somebody came and said, Hey, such and such is offering me this. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you go, you need to leave. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> if you don't leave, I'm going to fire you. So yeah, exactly. It's like, um, you will be jobless here in the next five minutes if you don't accept that other one. But that's, again, you're carrying on, you're, you're essentially carrying on a, a bit of a legacy. If you think a- absolutely. absolutely. Uh, by being just like him and, and sharing that kind of unicorn attitude with, it, I hate using the term unicorn. In fact, my, my Dan hates that word too. Um, <laughs> because it's not, it's not, it's not unknown. It's not, it's not, um, it's not a new concept. No, it's just a conscious choice. You just yeah. have to choose to treat people the right way. It's totally doable. I mean, it's not always easy. There's days where I'm like, damn it. I have to backfill another person who I trained up, who just got poached for more money than I'm now paying myself. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, there's, there's that moment of frustration, but it's just a conscious choice of like, this is the right 
great way to treat people. Um, and this is what gets them while they're here to do kick-ass work too. I, I remember one of the GP names I mentioned was a woman named Mary Grizzard, who was yep. just also an incredible leader. That whole team is stacked with great leaders. And I was frustrated one day because I was trying to deploy a, a bidding software to some stubborn facilities. And I said, I don't understand. It's just a system. Like, why don't they adopt it? It's not a people problem. And she, she laughed at me. Um, and she <laughs> said, Ethan, everything in business is a, she said, everything in business is a people problem. Uh, and I just froze like, yeah, <laughs> why? <laughs> what what just know, happened? Everything we're doing is, everything we're doing is about people because of people, people in the way or to help people. You wouldn't do this stuff if it wasn't serving people or you weren't trying to get people to stop doing something, right? Yep. Right. That's uh, the whole systems run companies. People run systems. That's right. And if the people are frustrated, they're the ones you got to serve, not the system. That's right. That's right. You might have to. Systems are obviously way easier to adjust because they're emotionless. People, a little bit of a tough. That's yeah. a little tougher because you got to you got to get you got to get their emotions involved and get them <laughs> to actually see it your way. Mm-hmm. And it's what's funny is there's that, and that sounds wrong, but that's that to me. That's um, one of my mentors taught me that everything's pretty much a discussion in philosophy and philosophy right. is philosophy de- defined in business etiquette is leading a person to a truth, <clears throat> whatever that truth may be. So it's getting your perspective explained in a manner that they can understand it and catch it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's the butterfly. I, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I like that perspective a lot. Yeah. It's, it's cause it's, it's one of those, it's one of those deals where if you can lead somebody to a truth, now, mind you, this can also be manipulative, so you have to be really careful. But if you can lead somebody to a truth that improves their being, whether that's mm-hmm. a work or at home or you know, play, whatever, you have led them to a better perspective, mm-hmm. period. Now, they're well, going to take yourself. that truth. Yeah. You've led yourself, too. I mean, teaching people and helping people is, I was going to say, we we're talking about mentors, and it's easy to talk about people who are older than you and have more experience. But some of my best mentors, you know, like my, my wife, um, we're the same age. Um, she does something very different than I do professionally. She's a very different person than I am. You know, I've got friends who are my age. I've got people younger than me. And, you know, that kind of leading people to truth thing, that's not owned by someone who's magically some number of years older than you or younger it than you. It is not the guru at the top of the mountain that only holds <laughs> the secret. I mean, if you want to go with Guru Pashik, you can. That's great. <laughs> but you can, get, you can get mentorship from, I mean, my seven seven-year-old nephew said something to me one day about being nice to people and I was like uh-oh <laughs> seven-year-old non-tom me like I know I need to up my game and pay attention but mentorship can come from anywhere as long as you're open and vulnerable to it willing to be led to truth like you said it's it's interesting because like right now I'm being reverse mentored I've never been in the print industry you know I've always been mm. digital right um, being involved with an actual magazine as their business editor is a completely new like my head's still spinning, dude, and, and, and I'm having a blast going through it. The, the mentor I have, you know, I'm 50. She's 42. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, she's been in this for 20 plus years. So she knows the print game inside and out and knows what to do and what not mm-hmm. to do. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like trying to sponge. Anytime she talks about anything in print, I'm like, okay, how's that work? Okay, how do you do mm-hmm. this? And mm-hmm. she, she lays it down. There's a lot of similarities between the two. And there's a ton of dissimilarities between the two. Oh, those dissimilarities, uh, they, they can pile up. I, yeah. And, and yeah. without getting too far into it, I have enjoyed so far working with her. She has mm-hmm. been absolutely, um, I'll just say it. She's an absolute sweetheart of a person in how she mm-hmm. disseminates the information to me. Like if I send her a question, um, I'll either get an email, you know, a little later in the day or she'll call me. And I'm just like, and I told her already, I said, you know, I only pick up the phone for certain people. So if you think it's that important, you call me. I will pick mm-hmm. up the phone unless I'm in a meeting. And, and she's tested it a couple mm-hmm. of times and knows that I wasn't kidding. So it's, it's all good. Mm-hmm. But these are mentorship and, and this, this reverse, this concept of reverse mentorship is extremely important. I mean, you just said your nephew gave you something. Mm-hmm. Being a mentor doesn't, you know, in the old days, being a mentor meant you are, you're with me on the daily and you, um, you're going to listen to what I do yeah. and watch what I do. And almost, like an pr- I do. almost like an apprenticeship model. Yeah. Uh, th- so, yeah, yeah. and that's an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what that is. But when you're talking about mentoring, mm-hmm. that can happen from any place. Most, most mentors don't even know they're mentors. You know, they, they, they just, it just yeah. happens. I mean, I'm a big believer. You can, 
you can learn from anyone. Sometimes that is learning something not to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You can learn the wrong way, but you can learn from, if you have an engagement with someone and don't learn from them, that's probably on you. Because um, at bare minimum, it's a reinforcement. Of, okay, this was the right thing to do. And I knew that and I just got reinforced, but you can get mentorship from anywhere, but you got to be open to it. Um, yeah. That's just, I mean, I'll be candid. You know, we talked earlier about how this all sounds like a linear path. It's not. Um, that's one of the challenges I'm having right now is, you know, I have to grow personally faster than my company does. Um, and I have to be more willing to be wrong and embarrassed faster uh, to lead my company there and create that space for them. And it's, it's a constant humility challenge, um, you know, because at some point you're just like, damn, I don't stick a um, you know, why doesn't the other thing change for once? But it's just the reality, I think, of, like you said, kind of being led to truth is do you want to be right or do you want to know truth? Um, you know, do you want to feel correct or do you want to get to the best thing or the best quality? And if you want to get to the best quality, you got to keep changing, but it's, it's uncomfortable. It's kind of funny you mentioned that um, being vulnerable and being willing to be wrong which is mm -hmm. definitely a, a challenge for some leaders is where do I let my vulner vulnerability come out? You know, how do I, without, without making everybody think I'm some weak, you know, leader, where do I show, yeah. where do I show my vulnerability? And it was funny yesterday, um, uh, one of the posts that we put up for OMG on Facebook, it says great leaders don't let their mistakes go unresolved. Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't know who, quoted it because it came off a of candela and I looked at it at that and I went, I, I don't care who it's from. Thank you for whoever coined it, but damn, the amount of truth. Well, put some quotes it. on it and slap it up there. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it was, um, it reminded me of the book, uh, Extreme Ownership. Have you read that yet? Uh, Jocko Willink. Yeah, that guy's, I love that book. And he's got another new one on leadership as well that just came out, I think earlier this year or late last year. Uh, I haven't grabbed mm -hmm. it yet. Um, and there's another book by another guest of ours by the name of Marty Strong called Be Nimble, uh, okay. Navy SEAL mindset and stuff like that. I got a copy for you. Just, it's all good. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll get, we'll get it out here in a little bit. Um, but, um, and he's definitely somebody to follow. Anybody that's listening mm -hmm. to this, go follow Marty. The man's loaded with friggin' wisdom. That's just, he's awesome. But that whole well, thing. That ties back real quick to that experience thing. That's something I love about learning from military leaders is you can agree or disagree with what they say, how they sound, what they believe. Robert does not meet the road anywhere more than when you're running into a building with a gun to fight a guy with a gun. I mean, that is, there is nothing theoretical about that. That is real experience. And that's, it, I don't think maybe valued enough. And in, in, in their case, you're running into a building with a gun to I mean, face more than gun, a yeah. few guys <laughs> with their that's guns. Right. That's right. That are all standing there waiting for you to come through the door. Um, the 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 cool the coolness of what that whole thing that whole quote talks about though is you just said it being willing to be vulnerable david Meltzer talks about it too it's like what what of your ego is stopping you from succeeding mm -hmm. because all you're doing is putting yourself in front of the success and going i should have it and success looking at you going but you're not ready mm -hmm. if you're not ready how can how can we come to you how can how can i be there mm -hmm. you don't have it yet so a leader, somebody that's looking at, you know, whether that's a charge company or whatever, has to be able to say, you know what, the last charge, we kind of messed up. I forgot to call out a flank. Mm -hmm. Let me go to some of my leaders who are under me and have them tell me what they saw. Mm -hmm. And if they're good leaders, they'll go to their front line and they'll go, okay, we missed something somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'll take the responsibility for it. What did I miss? And, and it's amazing to see what humans will do when they're just like, wait, you're not going to shoot me for that? Oh, it creates this, this almost emergent culture, right? Like the, the culture just comes out of these actions because you can't make culture. You can't sit down and script culture. Um, it, it just creates this environment of just people being willing to say, yeah, I effed up. And I struggle with that because I don't, I, I lose track of how much of a chilling effect I can have on my team. Because the way I talked to my last CEO, I would just say whatever I wanted. That's just how I am. Um, but not everyone's like that and they shouldn't be. And you have to create that space of accountability and lead and say, I'm going to be the first person to admit a screw up here just so everyone sees that screw ups don't get you killed. Uh, yeah. It's not about covering your screw up. It's about, you know, getting to the right solution. What's funny is, is <laughs> going back to our friends in the military, 
somebody screws up, somebody usually dies. We don't have to yep. deal with that in business, thankfully. Uh, you know, a career might die, but not a person. You know, <laughs> that, and that, that really speaks to, you know, again, being the kind of leader that is really um, human-centric, I think it was the word that, that came up earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. as, long as, we're, as long as we're aware of what's going on and being the mentors that we should be, Mm-hmm. Um, we're producing a new generation that's not a generation of ages, but a, mm-hmm. but a generation of humans. Because mm-hmm. like, right, you know, the generational studies talks about, you know, the world, the, the oldest generation, the Gen Xers, the millennials and stuff like that. The kind of generation mm-hmm. that we as mentors can create is the operations generation, the marketing mm-hmm. generation that this is a, this is, this is, I'm probably going to get doxxed for this, but this is a different concept. We're creating a community. It doesn't matter what generation you're out of. As a, men- right. as, a, as a mentor, I could care less if you're 15. I could care less if you're 25, 35, 45, 75. If you're still contributing, mm-hmm. you're a part of this new generation for this company. And we have a whole That's community right. to serve. Have, so. you, um, have you read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? No, that sounds freaking cool, though. It's, it's, it's dense, man. It's a, it's a modern philosophy book and I've cut it off for years because it is, I read textbooks for fun. That book yeah. is dense. Is it? Um, but what he sets up is this kind of philosophy of quality and he talks about kind of art and business and life and, and he talks about quality as kind of this concept of God or the universe, whatever your religious belief is. And he says that the, you talk about truth and it made me think of it is truth is quality is this the best thing it can be? And it's that moment where you see like a sunset or a painting or a quarterback connect with a wide receiver or a dog catch a bone or whatever. And you just know that's good. And that's what I've tried to anchor my career around. to varying effect is like, it's not about me. It's not, it's not even really about the team of the goals. It's like, what's this good? Was this as good as it could be? And if it's not, we got to get there. And if it is, don't mess with it because it's good. Somebody asked me in an interview question once, and it, I'm pretty sure it's what landed me the job. What's your definition of quality? Mm. And I sat there and I, I leaned back a little bit and I thought for a second, I was like, the best possible product or service you can deliver at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And he's, he sat back and he looked at me like, by the way, I was, I was, I think I was in my early 20s. That's a good answer. And he sat That's back. He's, this guy's like 35, 36. And he sits back and he goes, That's a hell of an answer. I've never heard anybody come up with that one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Is that okay? He goes, There's no wrong answers on these. This is, I just, I want to know where your head's at. And about a month later, I, I got a call saying, Hey, you can start whenever you're ready. And wow. that, that, by the way, that was a job in logistics that wasn't marketing, it was operations. <laughs> I was literally jumping into logistics at that time. Um, you know what's funny? There's some supply chain programs like University of Tennessee like this where um, it's really common for, and that's a top five like national sure, supply chain sure, program. Sure. Um, it's really common for someone to be a supply chain marketing double major because what they've done is they've integrated and said marketing is just the last next to last stage of supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you build it, you make it, you develop it, you tell people about it in marketing, you sell it to them and you deliver it. Yeah. And that for me is that's a great collaborative perspective. Like it's so easy to think of marketing and ops as enemies and no, they should be best friends. Um, it's marketing and sales that, that are company. usually enemies. That's the, that's the two that are always <laughs> at each other's throats. I'll leave my sales jokes alone. Um, <laughs> but if, if, if you're not collaborating that you, you talked about leaders don't leave their problems unresolved. If, if things aren't collaborating, there's a problem and yeah. that problem has to get resolved because we're not in it, especially on the same team and same payroll. You're not in it compete with each other we're in it to collaborate for you know one goal we're trying to achieve absolutely hey guys we're going to take one more 30 second break and when we come back we're going to chat a little bit more about fledging the company itself what it produces and, and this cool little this cool little box that freaking charge anything um <laughs> literally uh, I, i'm kind of surprised you don't have a little battery port in there to re- do rechargeables but um oh don't don't start that now <laughs> <laughs> well that's just i know don't that's, that's for, 2.0. Don't give it away. <laughs> I know just for, for you guys that didn't see what he just did, he just kind of did, did the peace sign. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, no, no, no. You can't be bringing that out now. Just hang on a second. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back in 30 seconds. We'll talk more about what's going on with Fledging. Hey, guys. Back. Coffee with Mike. Java Chat. Sitting here with Ethan Summers, CEO of Fledging. 
uh, a very interesting company um, as a manufacturer of technology. Uh, you're actually like the first tech manufacturer because we usually talk with mostly SaaS companies. Um, yeah. And this has been a great conversation. Give me an idea of what pledging is about. What's, what's, what's the story first uh, behind the company? And then what is it that you guys are doing? And what are you looking to do? Yeah, so we were founded in 2018 on the concept of premium electronics for everyone. And what that means is, you know, we exist in this digital world. If, you, if you've ever left your phone at home for the day, you know what's up. Like, it's easy to say, oh, I can't tweet or check TikTok, but really email, online banking, medical health care, figuring out where your kids are, maps, et cetera. It's, it's hard to live in this world without tech. Yep. And what we see is two models. You see this guy's model, yep. Apple. We're going to get you know, 85% gross margins on this thing and load it with software that kills it every two years by a new one, but dang, does it work well while you have it. Sure. Um, and it costs a ton of money. Or you see the gas station charger model where you pick up a little $5 thing and it's going to work for 10 seconds and you expect it to fall apart. Um, and it's a very polarized space. You essentially have Chinese manufacturing or Apple, Samsung. Um, yeah. It's not great. And so we got founded, you know, our founder was in a PhD program at UAB and his MacBook died. And, you know, he didn't have the money to buy a new one because it's like two grand. And he figured out that he could buy some parts and essentially make his own solid state drive for it. And he fixed his own MacBook for like 150 bucks. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so naturally he didn't do his homework, turned around and sold the drive and started a business. And he was actually revenue positive from the time he had his first product idea because he sold it. By the way, guys, this is the first time I'm hearing this story. I mean, we met back at CES, and I did not know this is how this all began. This is typical. Yeah, it's, it's a wild story. Yeah. This is typical entrepreneurship. Anytime somebody comes up with a challenge, and I just wrote about this too, Crisis Creates Leaders, um, which you'll read about in, in that book. Um, Perfect. This kid comes out of, out of left field with like a $150 solution to a $2,000 problem. Yeah. This is how yeah, entrepreneurship works. And what's wild is we figured out, you know, he, he's from Beijing. Um, he landed, he's from Beijing. He landed in a city called Pell City here, which is northeast of Birmingham, um, and then came to UAB for school and just never left. And so you get this kind of classic, um, you know, immigrant American story about wanting to come to the U.S., you know, launch your career here and stay here. And 14 years later, he's still in Birmingham, was still working with me. Um, and what's wild is he figured out that we could earn a pretty good profit margin selling that product and still sell it at a fair price. And that's where the mission premium electronics for everyone came from is we realized we could earn a bunch of money and still give people a good deal. Why not do that? That's, that's what it should be. Um, and so we drove that to about 1.1 million in seed funding. And what we were always trying to do was build this mass market, um, future-proof, high-value, you know, high-performance product, high-margin product that anyone could use. And at the time, we had this idea for something that had kind of onboard storage and data and power, and it's just, we figured out it was impossible to make, um, which led us to this first charger. And for the folks, if you're looking at video, I'm holding one up now. It is a desktop charger, which sounds simple. What it does is it gets rid of all the other stuff on your desk. You can throw away your power strip. You can throw away your MacBook charger and all your other chargers. And this thing's going to sit here with 140 watts. And mine right now is charging with the MacBook I'm talking on, a second monitor, a lamp, I got my iPad plugged in and it was wirelessly charging my phone before I took it off the stand. It's doing all that at once. And that's the kind of thing we wanted to build. It's what we were funded to build. It's mass market, anyone can use it. I don't care if you're Samsung, Apple, Dell, I don't care if it's a battery pack, a, a breast pump, I don't care what you're charging. If it needs power, we got you. Um, and you don't need to know anything technically. It's got the wireless charging built in. It's Got a nice little form factor. It's not an ugly lump of plastic. Um, so this is the kind of thing we wanted to make. Um, you know, we're selling it for $125 right now, which is more expensive for a charger. But we firmly believe you'll look up 10 years from now and say, wow, I only paid $125 from that. I'm still using it. That's the kind of product we make. Uh, it's, a, it's a definite premium product. I was, I was blessed with being able to have one of the, one of the uh, models that they had there at CES. Um, was the... Ethan was kind enough to say, here, try this. Um, I, everything's on it. He's not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is the product where we fixed the chip shortage by buying nicer chips. And that didn't just get us access these little ports on the side. I mean, it added a max of 10 more watts per port. 
So wow. by investing in quality, we in, we got access to the chips we needed, but also we just made a better product. So that means other than, especially if you own a MacBook, there's no MacBook that will easily charge while also charging your other stuff. No, not, a, not at all. That, that, that's, so this is, the, this is the new progression to powering your technology. Mm-hmm. You know, most people think that that's, that's RAM, that's, you know, all the, all the memory and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, well, it doesn't have electricity. It doesn't work. So right, how, right, do you, right. how do you get it charged up fast enough? Because those are fast charging ports from what I'm noticing. Oh, yeah. My phone's yeah, we, charged in less than an hour, dude. It's, it's crazy. Know, the, the power delivery protocol we use is smart. It can sense where the largest device is. It'll push power there. So a lot of multi-port chargers, let's say you got four ports and 40 watts. You plug in four devices, it's going to get 10 watts each. Yeah. That's not helpful. No, especially if you're, especially if your laptop's pulling 12 or 14. Time. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you end up losing, well, you it's end not up staying losing. on. It's not staying, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty exactly. cool. And so we just tried to build it. We tried to build the product we wanted to make, you know, the product we want to use. And the story was our head of R&D. It was March, 2020. Um, and we were sending him to Shenzhen to just be on the ground to do R&D there. And he went home to hug and kiss his mom and say goodbye. And of course the world shut down. Um, so he spent, God, three months living in her basement. And when I say one outlet, I don't even mean two ports. I just mean one, one out to power all. Yeah. Half an outlet basically. Yeah. Um, and he said, dang, I just wish I had a charger that would fix this. And so then he lands in Shenzhen and gets stuck in quarantine again. And then he tests positive for COVID, which was a negative, uh, a false positive. So this guy spends like five months stuck in a hotel room. Oh my god! And that's where this idea came from of why should I have to fight this battle? Just have this thing, have the spruce charger. I don't care what you're powering. You carry this around, you're good to go. Yeah, and I think fits, guys, if you look at it, again, hold that up for me if you would. For those of you that are yeah, watching yeah. on YouTube, look how small that is compared to his hands. This thing can, yeah, and, th- and then you have yeah, that. This is, this is iPhone 13, by the way. Like... It's it, it's it's small enough that you can take it with you freaking anywhere. Yeah. If you're if you're going out on vacation, that's what you take with you. Even if you're going to Europe, just get an adapter. You'll have this available available. You won't have to play with multiple adapters to charge your stuff. Just mm-hmm. one. You plug that in, and that's what you plug all your stuff into. Simple. And just to talk of, to talk about the the ease of use too. Like we built in all the power management, so the surge protection. You don't have to worry about. And then we built it for an international market. That is a global standard AC port. You can Sweet. be in Zimbabwe, Japan, Switzerland, or Brazil. Go to your store, get an AC cable for your country. It's $5. Plug it into the back of this thing. It's going to work anywhere in the world. See, that's, that's, that just made the $125 that much more valuable. There's a, there, there's a huge argument for getting one just to have it, whether you're at home. If you're a road warrior that is what you need to take with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I make it. So obviously I'm selling, you know, the thing I made and I love it, but this is, I went out last summer and raised a half million dollars to remodel fledging from very B to C and very solid state drive into more B to B and all about spruce. Um, and those investors gave us the money because of what we showed them here. And the people who own it, you know, or the people who have bought it, we have a less than 2% return rate on all the units we've ever deployed. And that's just because of a minor issue we fixed in production. Um, people love this thing when they get their hands on it. The, the price can be a little bit sticker shock. Um, and I promise you, if you don't like it, cool, go buy a $40 one. In six months, Spruce will be waiting on you when you get tired of dealing with the $40 charger. Well, and yeah, because you're going to end up buying two more before you end up getting the Spruce. And guess what? You're still you're still at 120 bucks. So you might as well just make the investment and just, just get it done. Absolutely. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, who's Who's the... We already mentioned the road wires. This is good for. This is also probably good for the vacationing family, because mm-hmm. they all have. You know, everybody's got a phone. <laughs> families are families are major. You know, you sit down and, and the mom, dad, and two three kids can all charge at once. Charge your different stuff, iPads and batteries and all that. Um, flex remote employees. Obviously, yeah. road warriors are one thing, and that's a whole lifestyle. <clears throat> but also, there's these people who they don't know if they're going to be at the home office, the work office. I don't know the date care the airport they just don't know um and so this makes it very worry free because you got it and it doesn't matter if you can find one outlet you're good to go sweet um i won't give away 2.0 because we kind of accidentally 
talked about it a little bit, but when it comes out, you'll need to come back and do an update so we can, <laughs> so we can talk about it again and talk about some of the other stuff that we were talking about. Um, Cause uh, this has been a, this has been a fun conversation. I really want to thank you for coming and hanging out with me. And it's, you're a good CE bro. We really, we really enjoy that. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it, Mike. This is, this is a lot of fun. Um, definitely appreciate the chance to come and chat with you and, it's interesting all the different topics that come up in a, in a business conversation that we're life, you know, it's the do to be good at what we do. Um, it takes a lot. So where can people find search? Yeah. Um, so you can find us on Amazon, just go to amazon.com and search for the spruce charger. Um, you can also search for fledging and find us. You can find us at fledging.tech. Now that's fledging with one L not two. Um, and then uh, one of the interesting business models is if you're running a business and you want this for your team, if you want great client gifts, if you want to have a unique kind of elevated gift to give someone, we can customize this with your label on the faceplate really easily. Corporate gifting. That is cool. And it's well within the normal business etiquette of yeah, 250. You, so yeah. If you're tired of tumblers and bags and pins and you want something people are going to use and remember and your brand instead of that red bird your brand is going to sit on their desk charging and being useful for them every day i'd love to talk so you can find me at fledging.tech or you can find me at ethan at fledging.tech can people find you on linkedin yes i'm all over linkedin posting weird stuff all the time that's the best part we're all weird in some wonderful way and we should stay that way <laughs> exactly um, exactly cool well guys if you're again if you're watching us on youtube don't forget there's a little button down there that says subscribe and then there's a bell next to it touch them both it's one it gives us more subscribers two it tells you when we get another cool guest like ethan coming onto the podcast if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms make sure you download or subscribe do me a favor leave us a review tell us how we're doing uh, i do try to listen to all of our comments um, whether good or not uh, it doesn't matter i want to hear from you because uh, it, it tells us exactly how we can serve you, our listeners. Uh, this was another one of those that's loaded with some good nuggets. You got to know somebody that this could probably benefit. Share it. Send them the link, whether it's YouTube or, or one of the podcast links. Helps get the word out to more people and share with others that might be dealing with some of the issues that we discuss. You know, somewhere somebody's going through something. And then they'll hear something from our podcast. And they'll be just like, oh. Yeah, that's great. So share it with them. We thank you for making the time and taking the time to come and hear us, listen to us, watch us. Make sure you take care of each other. And above all, stay up, stay safe, stay healthy, and live for myself coffee with Mike Nathan Summers. Ciao for now. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening.